Engaging Leader, Episode 49, Overcoming Fake Talk, How to Hold Real Conversations that Create Respect, Build Relationships, and Get Results, featuring John R. Stoker. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. As the legendary Peter Drucker observed, nearly all leadership and management challenges come back to breakdowns in communication. Effective leaders think about what is important and about how to communicate that. They deliver a clear message that outlines their expectations and specifies the requirements for effective performance. And then based on how people perform, the leader provides clear and effective feedback and recognition. Unfortunately, At a lot of teams, and especially in many examples across corporate America, teams and organizations are not having those kinds of communication with their leaders. Instead, what's going on are counterfeit conversations. They're engaging in fake talk, where it looks like everyone is sincerely interested in communicating, but there's not really a genuine desire to connect in a respectful way that builds relationships and gets the results that everyone desires. Our guest today is business communication expert John R. Stoker. John is the founder and president of the training and consulting firm Dialogue Works LLC. He has served as a facilitator, coach, and change management consultant for Honeywell, Comcast, Lockheed Martin, American Express, and dozens of other major corporations. John is the author of the new book, Overcoming Fake Talk, How to Hold Real Conversations that Create Respect, Build Relationships, and Get Results. John Stoker, welcome to The Engaging Leader. Thank you, Jesse. Glad to be here. Now, the title of your book, Fake Talk, what is fake talk? Yeah, that's a great question. I think sometimes people, leaders, managers, supervisors, unintentionally, are vague or unclear. They think they've been specific. They think they've been concrete. And then they don't find out until they get the results that they didn't want, that they weren't as clear as they needed to be. So that's kind of fake talk. Some people, I think, go along to get along. They want to be agreeable. They don't want to be viewed as a boat rocker or troublemaker. So they'll just kind of play the yes man kind of card. Now, obviously, that's That's fake talk. I think sometimes people are more concerned with being politically correct. For example, years ago, I did did some work at a major tool manufacturing company, and they actually brought me in to assess the culture. And this uh, CEO had, I think, 25 vice presidents, and I interviewed all of them before and found out what was kind of not working. And I, I started giving feedback to the CEO with the 25 VPs there. And I was interrupted after about two minutes by the CEO who said, hey, we don't want to hear any more of this. We don't talk negative here. <laughs> and I just, I said to him, I said, this isn't negative. Well, it, it is, but it's the truth. And what I did was interviewed all of your VPs and identified common themes around what was not working. 
So if you expect to improve upon that, we have to be able to talk about what's not working to make sure that it works correctly. And he capitulated and, you know, everybody was kind of looking down. And I told him, I said, if you, if you folks aren't going to own this, then I'll name names because I have, I have my interview notes right here in front of me. And so we had a, you know, we had a very good, I guess what you'd call a real conversation about what was working, what was not working, and then did some really developmental work around what we could do to improve that. And so sometimes I think being politically correct, people are afraid to really talk about what's, what's really going on, what's authentic, what's true, what's honest. And then I hate to say this, but I think sometimes there are some people who intentionally lie or who are disingenuous. And obviously, for whatever reason, um, that doesn't really get them the results that they want. So those are, would all be examples, I guess, of fake talk, where we hold conversations, be it in our personal life or our professional life, and what we'd say is that respect isn't enhanced, the relationship isn't built, and we don't get the results that we really want. It seems like having difficult conversations or even just clear conversations where there is an expectation that's clearly communicated and we make sure that people fully understand it. That's both a necessity in personal one-on-one interactions as well as from a broader organizational level. If you're speaking with large groups of people or or you're the CEO of an entire company. And I've talked to a lot of CEOs and other executives where it's almost a less is more approach feels safer to them. They're, they, they're risk averse or they, they feel like having a very clear conversation is too risky. And so they either don't talk at all or they do the, the fake talk. I would agree with that. In fact, years ago, I was coaching a, a CEO and trying to help him make his communications more clear. And I had coached him leading up to a, a town hall meeting that he was going to hold that day. And it was going to be a tough meeting because their, I guess, earnings for that quarter were down almost 30%. And, you know, he stood up there in front of the meeting and I don't know where this came from, but out of the blue, he said, well, our earnings are down 30 plus percent and I got to get rid of 40% of you. Am I wrong? (laughs) You know, everybody's heads dropped. No one said a thing. Um, you know, and after the meeting was over, I kind of hung out in the cafeteria where everybody was kind of mulling around just to listen to what the banner would be. And, you know, people were talking about putting their resumes on Monster and other people were blaming management and blaming him. And, you know, so I went back to his office and I just said, how did you think it went? And he said, I thought it went great. (laughs) And I said, well, you know, that question you asked and he said, what question? I said, when you said you got to get rid of 40% of everybody, am I wrong? Did you really expect anybody to answer that question? You know, and he said the thought for quite a while. And then he said, uh, yeah, I guess not. That wasn't too hot, was it? And I said, no. And he said, so how are people taking it? And I told him and he was very you know, disappointed. I, I think he was well-intended, but, you know, he really wasn't deliberate about the message that he wanted to hold. So a couple of days later, he had to hold another town meeting and, you know, he apologized and cleared the air and got more specific. And so in in the case that you just mentioned, where here he wasn't specific and part of it was a lack of preparation on his part. You know, I like to say that, right, good leaders think about their own thoughts. 
And what I mean by that is if they really know what they're thinking and if they really know what they want and what their expectations are, if they're clear about that, then that's what will be clearly communicated to the people that they're leading or that work for them. And if they're not, if they're vague, if they're unclear themselves, then that's kind of what comes through. So, you know, you're absolutely right that being clear about what's important and the message that you want to convey and the the intent behind that message, I think, absolutely drives excellent, real, effective conversation, communication, be it one-on-one or in a large group. And you provide several tips in the book for how to listen to yourself think and how to how to plan those messages out but that almost that example you just told almost seems like the very kind of an example where that would make a leader want to avoid communicating if they didn't have to because when you stand up and talk you are taking a risk that something stupid's going to come out of your mouth what would a leader in that kind of situation do Well, you know, one of the principles in the book, Overcoming Fake Talk, is the preparation principle. And people often say, are you saying you have to prepare for every difficult conversation or every conversation? And to every conversation, I'd say no. I mean, when you're asking me whether I'm going to be done with a report today that I promised to get you by three, you know, you're not going to plan that out. But if there's a message like in the example I used that somebody really wants to deliver, then preparing what that message is and what the parts are that need to be communicated and being clear and specific, then I would say, then yeah, you do need to prepare. And, you know, even though I've been doing this for 20 years, I have people that work for me, some people who are highly emotional. When they don't perform the way that I expect them to perform, then I actually literally will sit down and think about You know, what is it that I want to say and what is it that I want to accomplish and how will this person kind of take that and what's the best way to hold the conversation? And I've just found that um, doing that just gets us miles and miles of, uh, of success if we'll just do that. And part of the reason is, which is so interesting, we probably don't have time to talk about today, is that two thirds of our brain are wired to defend ourselves. Hmm. And so if you don't prepare for, an effective or what we call real conversation, then you're going to let the fight or flight part of your brain take over. And that's what people do. And that conversations typically don't go very well. But, you know, good leaders are good communicators. I mean, how could you not be an effective, powerful leader if you don't know how to communicate with people in such a way that they know exactly what it is that you're expecting and then can deliver on that? Because I really believe that people are well-intended And they want to perform up to expectations. There's real value in doing that. So when they don't have an opportunity to do that, that's when the real problems kind of enter in. So the answer is not avoiding conversation altogether or engaging in fake talk where you're just trying to smooth things over. It's it's what you would call real talk. You just mentioned that, real conversations. And you have a an acronym, R-E-A-L, that helps people through that. Can you walk us through that? Sure. R-E-A-L, real, is an acronym for recognize and suspend, express is the E, A is ask, and listen and attend. So let me kind of just take those one by one. Recognizing and suspending is about what we should do with our own thinking. And so part of 
recognizing and suspending is being able to recognize what's happening in the conversation so we can manage it. And oftentimes, our own thinking is what kind of gets in the way. And we do this at light speed without even thinking. In fact, I don't know if you noticed in the book, but at the end of each chapter, there's a little um, email, a URL there that says if you want to learn something that's not in the book, people can go and enter that in. And and I recorded some video vignettes that are between 8 and 15 minutes long. And I was getting ready to record one of those, and I was walking down the hall, and my spouse was coming out of a side conference room, and she was holding our huge HD camera for recording in one arm and a paper towel in the other. And I looked at her and I said, I certainly hope you didn't wipe the lens with the paper towel. <laughs> and she said, want to try that again? You know, and of course, we call each other uh, on stuff. And, I, and so I did. I, you know, I turned it into a question and just said, I noticed you're holding a paper towel. I'm, I'm hoping that you didn't wipe the lens with that. You know, did you? And, and then we had the conversation. But notice just that quick, she's holding the camera in one arm. She's holding paper towel in her hand, and I automatically, perceptually assumed that she had wiped the lens with a rough paper towel, which would have scratched the lens. And I did it in a tone that was more about blame and accusation than it was really trying to understand, and she called me on it. And so, you know, being able to recognize and suspend our thinking about people in certain situations and about performance is pretty key to holding a real conversation. In fact, the real skills is what we often refer to them as, are, are really skills that you can apply in any situation, be they personal or professional. Um, the E, which stands for expressed, is really about how do you share your message in such a way that it doesn't create defensiveness in the listener. And so that ties back to the recognize and suspend. If you think that... that I'm a jerk and you're upset with me, you, you really have to watch what you're going to say because what will happen is your thinking will drive your expression. The tone of voice, the cadence, the wording you use and what you're thinking of me is what will come out in that expression. The A is about ask. We just don't ask enough questions. And I'm a huge proponent of seek first to understand and then to be understood. And actually, we did some research about why people don't ask more questions. And it was pretty interesting what they said. They said, you know, we think we know what people are going to say. We think we know what the answer is. We don't want to ask questions and create the expectations that we'll do something about it uh, if we hear an answer that we don't like. And so there are a whole lot of reasons why people don't ask questions. And yet when we really ask is, is when we really come to understand what's going on with another person. And then lastly, the L, which stands for listen and attend, and the reason we divided those in two is because listening is kind of what we do with our ears, and attending is what we do with the rest of us. And there are just a ton of messages that people send that we miss, either because we think all we have to do is hear what they say and then don't attend to them, and it's in the attending that we see what people are doing with their body, with their eyes their tone of voice with the kind of words they use and the tone or inflection they're using that tells us things about them that we often miss because we really don't attend to them. So those are the real skills that we in the book that we teach people how to use to hold any difficult conversation, be it personal or professional. That, does that make sense? It, it does. Now, let's go back up to the recognize and suspend. At first, I was tempted to 
blow this off as simple and sure everybody knows knows this, but it's pretty pivotal. And it it I guess I would I liked how you sort of summarize it at one point in the book. You say this is really all about stopping, slowing down, and thinking. And I, I like that uh, in terms of specific skills or things, what you should sort of do when you are slowing down and thinking that uh, SOS mantra that you have. See, um, so what happens is, is, you know, oftentimes I think uh, my experience has been that people are very risk averse when it comes to emotion. So the mm-hmm. skill you mentioned, SOS, is in the recognize and suspend section. And it's a skill that you use on yourself to identify what your emotion is and what's driving it. So if I might, S stands for state your emotion. So let's say I was upset with, you know, someone that worked for me. So then I say, I'm angry with, let's call her Ann. I'm angry with Ann. And then I finish the sentence. I'm angry with Ann because. So that O, which is observe your thinking, I'm trying to get to the thinking that's behind my emotion. So let's say I'm angry because I thought we had this nailed down and she missed the deadline. I I thought we had I'm angry because this is the third time I'm gonna have to hold this conversation. I'm angry because I just get tired of thinking through these issues I wish people could perform. I'm angry because, you know, I'm trying to be a good leader and it, you know, it doesn't really look like I am. And I'm anyway, the more you can finish that sentence, the more you'll get to what's floating around in your head that often goes uh, undiscovered, which is very, very interesting. It's actually the stuff that I really believe is running us that we're not really aware of. And then the last S stands for select the positive. And so what that means is if the report was late, then I'm going to basically come up with a, a, you know, a reasonable or positive explanation or a logical explanation for why the report was late. And so if I do that, I might say, well, Anne hasn't been in in two days. Maybe something else took precedence over this. Maybe somebody else gave her a kind of a fire she needed to put out. And, or maybe she's been sick. Or maybe there was part of my instruction that wasn't particularly clear. Or, But notice as I kind of create logical explanations for perhaps why that report was late, it, it diffuses the feelings that I have. And the reason that it does that is because our thoughts are what drive our emotions. Mm-hmm. So if I consciously make an effort to first surface the thoughts that I hold, what that allows me to do is to assess them for their accuracy. And then if I create some other thoughts or explanations that could logically be occurring when I don't really know even if they are, changing that thinking changes my own emotion, which is a way of allowing me to kind of more accurately assess my thinking. And so I would hope that what happens when I do that is that I learn some things about myself, which then I have to go say, you know what, I made this up. This is what I'm thinking. And I don't really have data or facts for even if that, if my thinking is even accurate, which puts me in a different place. And now I'm going to go back and find out if what my thinking is accurate or not. So many instances, people say, it's kind of like your SOS is giving yourself a chill pill. Mm -hmm. And it is. It's a way of shifting your thinking so you can prepare to hold the conversation you really need to hold rather than just being emotional and thinking you're going to hold the conversation and things will go well. 
Um, so that's what that skill is all about. I thought it was really interesting in the book you point out how much of the communication problem actually gets solved by when you go through that process and the person you're talking to will actually actually mirror a lot of that openness uh, whether it's the you know the neuro the, the neuroscience behind it with the mirror neurons and and but just the fact that you're stopping slowing down and thinking and giving them the benefit of the doubt giving assuming a positive intent on their part they're more likely to uh, be open to what you're saying and, and have an upward spiral in the conversation instead of a downward spiral. Yes. In fact, now you're talking about two principles. You're talking <laughs> about the reflection principle, which is the, chapter three in the book, which I love the title of, Do You Ruin Everything by Being You? <laughs> which is really about the fact that sometimes the way we communicate that my style may not be your style. And so even though I don't intend to offend, I like to say that offense is taken where often it's not given um, by recognizing that my style's different. And if I can recognize and be more objective in my approach to you and mirror more your style, then that helps create connection. But to be able to do that, first principle in the book is about awareness. Um, and awareness is about being able to be both what I would call a participant in the conversation and an, ob and an observer. And, and that's hard. It takes practice because a participant is like, all right, I'm listening to you. I'm listening to the context. I'm thinking about the subject. And we're talking about a particular topic or with a particular purpose in mind. But I also have to observe what's happening. So if you start to get emotional with me, I got to observe, I got to see that. Mm -hmm. Or if you roll your eyes and, you know, lean back in your chair and look away from me, then that tells me that you're starting to disengage and that there's something else going on. So I have to be able to observe those behaviors and then manage them so that we re kind of recreate that connection and that conversation so it'll be effective. And I do that by you know, listening and attending, asking questions. So if you rolled your eyes, I might say, gosh, Jesse, I know you just rolled, noticed you just rolled your eyes. I'm guessing there's something you really didn't agree with. Tell me what you're thinking. And then I bring you back in because I've recognized those, if you want, nonverbal cues that kind of help, help with that. So yeah, those two principles are pretty important if you want to mm -hmm. Be able to hold the real conversation, being able to recognize and be aware of the dynamic and managing it. And then the reflection principles, pretty fascinating how just reflecting other people's style to them helps forge a connection um, in the neuroscience field that helps the conversation go well. As you said, the, the E stands for express, uh, specifically express your intention. And I was caught by surprise when you talked about how that really is it has to do with leading the energy of the conversation. You tell that story of, of Eve and uh, Mary, I think, is the person who is complaining to her about several things and just the, the magic shift in energy that occurred. Yeah, I, I think I, I worried about being too metaphysical, to be honest, in this book. In <laughs> fact, there's another book I could write. <laughs> um, but but notice uh, in that particular story, when the person, you know, w was complaining, you know, that has an energy all its own. And 
I think if I'm not mistaken in that instance, rather than complaining, she shifted the energy by saying something positive about the leader and the leader's commitment to excellence, which kind of took the leader by surprise and shifted the dynamic drastically. And so we're not often you know, aware of that. And so notice that kind of goes back to our thinking. So if I approach a person with a particular mindset that they're difficult to deal with and I really don't like them. In fact, I have some pretty hostile feelings about them. That's the energy that will be used to express my message, no matter how important it is. And and the person will pick up on that. In fact, I don't know if this story ever got into the book or not, but you know, years ago in another life, I was a criminal defense attorney and, and I had a real difficult time with a particular prosecutor. And Finally, another attorney pulled me aside and said, you know, I noticed you have a problem with so-and-so. And I go, yeah. And he said, let me give you a bit of advice. And I said, what? And he said, I want you to find something about him that you like, even if it's his tie. And I said, that's probably about <laughs> all. Like, and so I tried it. The next time, you know, I went in to talk to him or we were talking in court during a situation and Nice tie, nice tie. Wow, that's a great looking tie. I love that pink. Oh, that looks so good. And, and it was totally different. The dynamic. He wasn't defensive or as defensive. You know, he, he wasn't apt to come after me. And that's when I started to kind of play with that and realize that, wow, you know, what we really think or what we are is what we exude. And people pick up on it at, a, I think, a subconscious level. And so it, it influences the way that they talk to us. So if I go back to the reflection principle and I'm talking to someone and they're being very disrespectful, the first thing I do for myself is say, all right, what am I expressing? What kind of words am I using? What's the tone of voice that I'm using? So I start taking a look at myself and I'll consciously make an effort to not only think positively, but state things differently and try to exude a, a different feeling because that's right. You look at yourself first as a way of kind of looking at the conversation. And, you know, I've done that. And sometimes it's a huge help. Sometimes it's not, which kind of tells me, man, the person's probably having a bad day. And it's really not about me. It's just about the way they're feeling in the moment or at that particular point in time. But I, I think that point that you picked up on is huge. And it often goes... Uh, unmentioned, and I just don't know oftentimes how metaphysical we can get, but there is more and more research uh, in the neuroscience field for saying that people really do pick up on, you know, what we think and feel towards them. And it's not hard because, right, our feelings, our words, and our actions are all a product of the way we think about folks. And so, obviously, they're picking up on, on some level. But having beginning with a, a positive intention and I guess beginning from a, a place where you assume that the other person has a positive intent uh, sets you up for for success your your mannerisms and your your both your visuals and what you say verbally is going to communicate that I'm trying to take this conversation to a place that's a, a positive place I'm not I'm not trying to attack you here and that's that goes back to preparation because obviously I don't think, you know, 
people really go out of their way to beat people up. Although sometimes in my corporate America life, I would have to say, oh, yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but that, that doesn't help me to perform better. In fact, it really creates maybe more fear and angst and frustration down the line. Whereas if a, a you know, leader focused on, all right, let's talk about what really happened here with the perspective of let's improve it. Let's improve what's going on here so we get – we improve our results. You know, anybody can handle that, but that's about focusing on the process and improving and trying to make things better rather than trying to blame or accuse or, if you want, pound the person because they didn't give us exactly what we wanted. Now, the A, as you said, stands for ask. And as you mentioned a little bit earlier, we don't ask enough questions. And you're suggesting that part of the art of real conversations is asking learning questions, not manipulative questions or questions to try to prove a point, but really trying to get behind the reasons why things are happening or what are happening. But as you said, if you don't have, in the book, you tell a story about the those uh, managers at the auto plant who they sort of got the message that, okay, we need to ask questions, but they didn't really have the the right intent there or the right uh, follow-through on those questions. Yeah, in fact, the, the purpose of that story was to basically say, you know, the easiest way to create respect is to ask a question. And the reason that it does is it says, you know, I care enough to think, to ask, and to listen to what you have to say. So in the story that you're referring to, you know, we had taught real conversation skills in this manufacturing plant for about a year, and then we went away for six months, and we came back, and right, I was out on the floor wandering around, and I just decided to check in with people, and so, you know, I started asking people, and the story was, you know, one, one person said, well, my boss asked me what I thought today, and when I finished, he said, next time I'll ask an expert, <laughs> or, you know, my boss asked me what I thought, and as I was telling her, she walked off and left me talking to myself. And so that, that told me that they understood that they could create respect by asking a question, but their <laughs> intent wasn't pure. They were probably asking the question to c- try to come off as respectful when in reality they acted in different ways. And so I often will say, you know, when you ask a question, if you don't want to know the answer, don't ask it because you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. So these people got part of the message, but they didn't get the intent part. And in this particular facility, what we're really trying to do, this is a, an old manufacturing company that everybody would recognize if I told them who it was. And, and they had such an autocratic, dictatorial, punitive culture that they were losing 25% of their their manufacturing workforce a year, and it was causing millions of dollars costing. And so the organization was very interested in trying to change the culture so that people were more respectful to one another, that so that teams could work better together, they could collaborate more effectively, people would be more accountable and, and be able to talk about tough subjects. And, and we were able to kind of achieve that. But, you know, they got part of it. They just didn't get the didn't get the intent <laughs> part, and so we had to go back through and spend another year, kind of reworking some people's skills and doing some other things that helped to improve the culture even further. 
And the last part of real, the L, which stands for listen and attend, you talk about three skills that are an important part of that. Focus, being non-judgmental, and uh, empathy, listening with empathy. What, why are those important, and what are you, what are you really after in this part? Well, the, the focusing part is there's a little exercise, I think, in the book everybody would like that really kind of demonstrates to us individually how hard it really is to stay focused on the individual. Just hearing a person with our ears, I often like to say really listening and attending is something you can't fake it until you make it. You're either listening and attending or you're not. And then the other piece, you know, about being non-judgmental takes us back to recognize and suspend and and it's like, you know, we really jump to conclusions or draw interpretations about people or opinions about people at the drop of a hat. And so people need to go back and look at the data to see if there's any data that in fact supports the way that they're thinking about a particular person. And often they're not. And then the empathy piece, gosh, years ago, people were asking us, can you help us with defensiveness? And it's a, there's a huge model in the book called the Ease Model, which is a wonderful way that people can, in using the model, understand why people become emotional. And I'm not talking about positive emotion. I'm talking about negative or hot emotion, which is usually the result of what we refer to as a violated expectation or a violated value. And so when people get emotional... If we could just all realize that all right, they're perceiving or interpreting something I'm saying or doing as a violation of something that's important to them. Um, and recognizing that, I like to say that you know, emotion is the mask of meaning. So the challenge is, is to diffuse the emotion, to diffuse the defensiveness so we can get at the meaning that a person is holding in their head that we usually don't get to. And that's the really the key to solving problems and around conflict resolution. But most people can't even get past the emotion. So they either match emotion with emotion or they'll run. Uh, they just withdraw altogether. And then the problem never gets solved or it doesn't get solved effectively. And so, you know, being able to listen and attend to what's going on with a person is huge. In fact, if I was to take all of the principles... I would probably say that that's probably the most important. And then asking questions is second because asking questions opens the door for more listening and attending to what's kind of really, really going on with a person. Well, the book is Overcoming Fake Talk, How to Hold Real Conversations That Create Respect, Build Relationships, and Get Results. We've been talking with John Stoker. John, how can people find out more about the book and the work you're doing? And, and you've got some, some free resources available as well. Yes, I'd tell them to go to our website, which is dialogueworks.com. If they haven't bought the book and they want to, let me just say that they ought to go to the website that is overcomingfaketalkbook.com. If they went on the site and purchased the book there, there's some buttons they'll see that say claim the gifts. They can come back and put their receipt number in, and it's all set up to send them a whole bunch of free gifts. Uh, eight I'm offering in connection with the book that are tremendously helpful. And then just for your listeners today, it's not accessible to anybody else. 
if they were to type in the URL dialogueworks.com slash emotion, um, they can have access to a conversational recipe on reducing emotion, which is a little audio-visual presentation that's 8 to 15 minutes long, and a 10-page workbook that they could download and then kind of use to learn about why people get emotional and actually use the ease model for diffusing that emotion. So there's a couple things that um, might interest your listeners, a bunch of freebies and um, a special one for reducing emotion because I found more and more that people always want to talk about why people get emotional and what to do about it you know, in conversation. I thought that would be helpful for people. Definitely. Well, we've just scratched the surface on four of the principles in the book. There's eight altogether and lots of models and tips provided. So I definitely encourage people to check that out. We'll provide links in our show notes uh, to the resources that John mentioned. John Stoker, thank you for joining us today on Engaging Leader. Thank you for having me, Jesse. Have a great day. You too. All right, leaders, that wraps up this show. But you can find the links that I mentioned uh, regarding John's resources on our show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 49, as in episode 49. That's also a great place for you to ask questions for John or myself or to leave comments. You can also leave comments and questions on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash engagingleader, or follow me on Twitter, where I am at Jesse Leahy. Engaging Leader is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about.